politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard and fight anew for our liberties to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, this shorter week, Wednesday, July 7th. And folks, when the law no longer protects you from the corrupt, but protects the corrupt from you, you know your nation is doomed. Those are the words of Janice McAfee, whose husband, John McAfee, was almost assuredly murdered in Spanish prison. Unlikely at the hands of the Spanish, but of yours truly, your government. We live in a time when we have a government that has created a power structure solely for used, being used against you and me. We see 545 people arrested for what happened in the Capitol. There aren't even 545 people that did anything when Antifa, BLM could do whatever they want as we spoke about yesterday. Hundreds of thousands of people pour over our border. We have hundreds of thousands of visa overstays. We have national security threats. We have street violence. We have COVID fascism. That we're going to get into later today. Very special guest on today. A civil rights attorney. Who is actually a lifetime liberal democrat. Who has taken up the mantle to sue on our behalf. To sue the COVID fascism. But this is what we have. We don't have anarchy. We don't have pure tyranny. We have North Korea for us. And Afghanistan for the bad guys. But folks. It didn't start. January 20th of this year. It's been brewing for decades, but it really accelerated under Trump's presidency. And I'm not one to look back. I'm always forward-looking, always planning what we can do at a given time. But folks, before we bring on our guests and talk about the COVID lawsuits and what we can do, I want to broach a little bit the topic of um, this terrific, terrific column that a lot of people are talking about, and rightfully so, by Angelo Cotavilla in American Greatness, What is Trump to Us? To be worthy of following post-Trump leadership must become consistent indeed with the insight that vaulted Donald Trump into public attention. We have to have the 2020 vision that few in talk radio and cable news have. Anyone who is focusing on Trump 2024, and this is not even so much Trump, it's anyone 2024, but certainly repeating the same mistakes of the past. And by the way, that does not repudiate any advantage to Trump at any point, any redeeming quality, any point over the last five, six years. But it means if you're stuck on that, that means you are committed to the same paralysis of initiative that got us here. And if you look at everything going on, whether it's COVID fascism, whether it's the rise in crime and criminal justice deform, we talked about yesterday the, you know, mass Muslim immigration when Trump, who talked about it, he had the greatest opportunity. The media was actually goading him to shut off Saudi visas after the Pensacola attack, and he refused to do it. In many ways, he barked the loudest and allured the largest counterattack ever by the left, but didn't even do it. And I'm not moaning and whining, as you guys well know. I was there every day trying to encourage him, saying, here's what you can do, here's what you can message. And very rarely did he take up that mantle. Now, while we're looking through 2020 political lenses, you guys might want to get yourself a good pair of glasses that actually helps you see better. Our sponsor today, Better Spectacles, is now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S. They are a 144-year-old company, the world's gold standard with over 500 patents. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock glasses. They're expert opticians specialized in difficult prescriptions, astigmatisms, um, those with experiencing uh, problems with progressives, 
Believe it or not, technology has caught up to your prescription and Better Spectacles has your prescription for you. Specs lenses from Rodenstocks use, uses advanced algorithms with more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. The result, more energy, no neck strain, the ability to help you see up to 40% better. My wife and I are loving our Specs lenses. Again, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment. Helps for those who don't want to wear a mask. Um, they're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Ghost Specs lenses plus free handcraft rodenstock frames. Again, visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Never go again with shoddy eyesight. Now, talking about shoddy political eyesight here, um, you know, he's he's totally correct. He basically chronicles in words in one column what I've been saying for years is that with Trump, we got the worst of all worlds. He trashed the political system and he was right, but it allured the opposition of the system. And then he never took the specific policy steps to match his rhetoric. And in fact, often when it came to all the critical junctures, he, he did the worst. He actually went along with it. Angelo goes on to say he did not try to support as many accusations with facts. Millions who disagreed with him or disliked him personally voted to make Trump president and even more vote to reelect him. But whatever Trump might have thought, his voters knew that hatred for the ruling class, not Trump himself, was why they supported him. It was about themselves, not Trump. The ruling class knew it too. That is why for most of the past six years it betrayed it braids so much disdain from every available venue on him personally trying to convince at least some of his followers that he is unworthy of decent people's allegiance. And he goes back and he rehashes basically, you know, all of the um all of the problems that we had. The reasons why Trump acted as he did are irrelevant to the fact that he acted as he did. And to those actions, consequences. No doubt Trump did not intend them, just as hydrogen peroxide does not intend to break down water into oxygen. Blaming Trump for the ruling class's oligarchic seizure of power makes no sense, but that seizure became possible only because Trump was who he was and acted as he did. And he goes through all the mistakes. And um, again and and again and again, Trump signed mammoth spending bills that contain the Democratic Party's wish lists, having promised not to, vowing never to do it again and then doing it again. Again, we we were talking about that all the time by creating trillions of dollars in debt, which the Federal Reserve monetizes and channels through financial institutions. Trump was the sine qua non of the financialization that has transferred wealth from Main Street, which voted for Trump, to Wall Street, which is part and parcel of the ruling class. And he goes on and on and on. He actually doesn't cover the jailbreak. I'm, I'm going to have stories out. So much of the Chicago violence is from gang members of the likes of whom are now in federal prison seeking early release under that act. It's unbelievable. And then came COVID-19. Only President Trump's complacence made possible the American people's submission to scientifically nonsensical regulations that ended up solidifying the oligarchy and transferring more wealth and power from one class to another possibly than ever before in mankind's history. They, you know, he, he talks about tr- President Trump stood in the way of the, that imposition until he didn't. Turning the scientific logic of quarantines on its head, Trump on March 15th agreed to counsel people to suspend normal life for two weeks to slow the spread Two weeks later, the New York Times crowed that Trump, having been told hundreds of thousands of Americans could face death, the country reopened too soon, had been stampeded into abandoning his goal of reopening the country by Easter. And then obviously, you know, Trump to this day says he saves he saved hundreds of thousands of lives. He talks about the ventilators. He created the greatest vaccine ever. He bashed Sweden. He bashed Georgia for reopening, if you remember that. Refused to fire any of those people. Headed forward, Cordovello has advice for us that I think is very sage advice. Whoever would lead Republican America 
going forward must reinvigorate Donald Trump's priceless legacy, rhetorical disrespect of the ruling class, but Trump's rhetorical leadership was not sufficient. For Republican Americans to shield ourselves and restore our liberties, we must specify and explain that disrespect with regard to every part of the oligarchy. Unlike Trump, we must assert and explain the falsehood of claims to superior knowledge and morality and build on these explanations by organizing and supporting popular acts of collective disobedience. And that's what it is. It's not just, oh, we need a better Trump. We need a movement in a party bottom up that reflects that. Pick your greatest man alive and he can't he could not accomplish much. So while I could talk about how Trump screwed us left and right, at the same time, I believe it's also true that had Cruz won the primary or think of someone else, it would not have really been that much better. It really wouldn't have. I think there were a tremendous amount of missed opportunities that were unique to Trump. But looking forward, it's not a matter of electing a guy like Ron DeSantis. Like I keep saying, it's a matter of getting a Ron DeSantis reflected in the party leadership, in the elected leadership of every county, every state, especially the red states, school board, sheriff, prosecutor, county commissioner, state legislator, and then certainly the governor and attorneys generals of of the red states. That's where it's at. Next year's primaries, but not just the primaries. I'm not just saying focus on state primaries rather than federal general elections, although I am saying that. But it's the way you focus on it. It's building a sustained movement. It's not like putting your finger in a wind, an iron in a fire one time. Oh, the election, I did my thing. No, there's an election every day in between those two years to fight on the issues, on what matters. Hold them accountable. Call the plays. And that's what I'm trying to build with my Constitution Action Network. You go to constitutionaction.com. No overhead involved at all. It's basically organizing this show audience into strike force teams in each red state and county, preferably at least beginning with those areas and holding these people accountable. Texas Republicans hold all the power they need. They have a special session right now. What gets done or doesn't get done will fall or rise based on how many people who call themselves conservative activists actually focus on that. So I'm going to be developing that thought throughout the coming days, what we need to be doing, but we can't double down on failure. Vote again for more Republicans. So saying you're going to vote for Trump is, is just a redundant manifestation of that. So that's where we are with that. Now, folks, if you want to really learn to meet people and study the Constitution, how to fight for it, one of the few organizations I believe in and I partnered with is Patriot Academy. You go to constitutioncoach.com to find out about them. I've been taking some people from the audience on trips out to Front Sight, Nevada. And by the way, we're going to have more in the fall. I'll be out on October 31st if you want to sign up. 90% off of Front Sight's firearm training. You have Constitution training at night the best handgun defense training during the day with the front sight instructors. Um, But Rick Green also has his Constitution Coach program that you could sign up for and become a Constitution Coach to host his very entertaining um, Constitution classes in your house. And then that way you could get 20, 30, 40 people within your uh, county and your area that agree with you and are like-minded. And you could form a strike force team out of that. Um, he also hosts at, if you go to patriotacademy.com, an annual um, Patriot Academy training for 18 to 24 year olds or 16 to 24 year olds at the Austin of Texas State Capitol. Um, I actually just wrote a letter of recommendation for one of our listeners to attend. So again, check it out, patriotacademy.com, constitutioncoach.com. This is how we are going to build that army bottom up of people who are willing to fight for liberty, not just put our hopes in one man, whoever that man might be. Now, folks, obviously, I have a lot more in my big stack of stuff here on some of our crime stories I want to get to, uh, some of our school board fights. 
But I did want to get back to COVID, which we haven't really touched on since July 4th. Look, I don't think I need to warn you guys that this is not over with. That it's not a matter of inoculating ourselves from a future systemic violation of civil rights. It's still going on. It really never ended. You had Joe Biden yesterday say publicly, we need to go door to door, house to house to convince people to get vaccines when you should all be wondering, hey, how do they know who got it? Oh, whoops, I guess they actually do know and they are tracking and tracing just like they have been doing. So we certainly have that going on. We have the Delta. We're going to have Epsilon. There's another 20 letters in the Greek alphabet. And then there's another name they came up with from Paraguay that's not even a Greek a letter. So this is going to continue, whether it's the notion that we could test and trace you without any prima facie evidence that you even have the disease, that you're a threat, we could force quarantine you, we could certainly violate your bodily integrity, whether it's covering your breathing orifices, whether it's uh, experimental injections, whatever it is, we could shout COVID in a crowded theater, a noun, a verb, and COVID, or whatever else we wind up calling it in the future, and we have laid down a baseline opposite of what Justice Robert Jackson established uh, he was the great defender of due process when he said that there is no exception in the Constitution to fundamental rights. There is no emergency exception. Our Constitution was adopted during a time of an emergency, and yet that has not changed. If you look carefully at even what almost all of the Republican governors have said, it's more like, yeah, you know, the cases no longer justify it. It's there's a lull in cases. But I think as we all understand, we're probably pretty close to herd immunity, but there is what to fill in seasonally in certain areas. Um, It's never, in my view, going to reach an epidemic level. It's not a pandemic, but you will have cases that you could count of this and other things. And, you know, the Arkansas governor, again, you know, this is a southern state. He's already warned that he doesn't like what he's seeing and he might reinstate some mass mandates. Now, the state legislature did get rid of the mass mandate. How he can do it, who knows? But we've established that an executive force could do whatever they want. So with us today, we have a very special guest, actually two guests. Uh, I mentioned about a couple weeks ago, we had Shannon Joy, our friend from Rochester. She's a radio show host at WHAM. More importantly, a dear friend of mine. Um, She had her daughter called up by the school nurse at the BS of the County Department of Health. This is Monroe County, New York. And she was told, your daughter needs to quarantine uh, because someone tested positive on her volleyball team when she wasn't even there that day. And she was forced without due process into quarantine. And we've kind of accepted this. We've talked a lot about the masking and the injections, but the quarantine, oh, well, state has the power to quarantine, unqualified, right? And we haven't really questioned that, but she, being a public figure, did speak out about this, and the police, the local police, showed up at her uh, doorstep, intimidated her, and, you know, when Biden talks about going door to door, this is not a hollow threat. This has already happened. So she really it wants to go after the Monroe County Department of Public Health, the Fairport Police Department. She lives in Fairport. And Dr. Mike Mendoza, who is the commissioner there, who has a tremendous amount of power. Um, and with her today as well is her attorney that has filed a very important federal lawsuit His name is Corey Hogan. He's the founder and partner of Hogan Willig Law Firm in Buffalo. He's been practicing law for 40 years. He's done civil rights cases. And recently, he has sued on behalf of restaurant owners. He is suing the mass mandate in schools. And he is representing Shannon in her her due process case, a federal due process case against Test and Trace. Shannon and Corey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel, for having us. And thanks for being with me here, Corey. I appreciate it. Well, Shannon, I know that you've uh, uh, lost your your voice and nothing personal, but I want to hear more from Corey today. But before we bring on Corey, could you just set the table as to where things stand today? You held a press conference, um, your case specifically, and then we'll talk with Corey more about the legal mechanics here. Absolutely. My, I lost my voice three months ago at a volleyball tournament and I've never gotten it back. So I don't know if this is my perma voice, but it's pretty crazy. Daniel, thanks for having me on. Yes. 
it was April 3rd. It was the Saturday before Easter Sunday, Daniel, when in our peaceful little village home, we were visited by two contact tracers banging on the front door, terrifying my 12-year-old daughter, Mimi, and two armed police officers on the sidewalk. Uh, she ran up and got my husband and, you know, he came down and he was met with the the four agents of the government plus four neighbors who had all come out to see what was going on. They were concerned about what was happening in the neighborhood. They were very intimidating and they had decided for the first time since the onset of the pandemic, Daniel, to hand deliver a quarantine order to my home and escort the contact tracers with armed police officers to my home. This had never happened in Monroe County. They had never hand delivered a quarantine order before. The reason they did this, and this the one part of the lawsuit that Corey is going to explain in a moment, is uh, harassment of a member of the press, myself. The night before, Daniel, I had secretly recorded 15 minutes of audio with one of the senior level contact tracers, Gene McFogg, who reports directly to Mike Mendoza. And with my good friend, Chad Hummel, who is also an attorney, the night before we exposed the corruption, the the um, lack of due process in terms of the quarantine, we exposed and embarrassed the department for what they were doing to individuals by playing that audio. Less than 14 hours later, Daniel, the health department sent police officers to my home in an effort to intimidate and harass me and shut me up. And I have to admit in the press conference yesterday that was so well attended, we had 60 or 70 people there, two major news outlets who haven't run the story yet, Daniel, they're blackballing it, but we're gonna work on that. Um, and members of the social media press, it was an amazing event. We held it right outside of Adam Bellow, the county executive's office. We are suing Monroe County as well as Monroe County Health Department, the Fairport Police Department, and Mike Mendoza. It was amazing energy and an amazing event. But in that press conference, you know me, Daniel, I am not frightened easily. But I can tell you on that Saturday morning when I saw the vindictive nature of the administration and Dr. Mike Mendoza, and I realized that they were willing to send armed police to my house to intimidate me for the first time, I was terrified that they could possibly do something to take my daughter. Right. If we violate that quarantine, if we go out of the house, that they could go to a family court judge and get them to issue a warrant and come in and seize my children from me. And as a mother, the thoughts that go through your mind, imagining what if I did something that put my child in danger? Right. What if I did something? It is it is the worst feeling that I've ever had that morning when I realized what they could possibly do. And no one should feel that way. No one should feel that way. It was amazing, Daniel. Within an hour, I called James Minner, who, who works with Hogan Willig. And with myself, I had had Corey on my program before. They called me back within an hour, Daniel. And I can't tell you the amount of relief that I felt as a mother and as an individual when they said, okay, Shannon, we got you, we got this. We're, we're not, you're not, they're not going to take your daughter. We're, we're going to fight this. And uh, fast forward to today in that press conference, we are now pushing the pedal to the metal and we are going to try to hold them accountable, uh, not only for what they did to me as a member of the press and an individual, but also what they did to my daughter, the violation of constitutional uh, rights specifically due process rights in that quarantine process and the contact tracing tracing process. We're going after that hard and, and we're going to ask your audience for support at some point because uh, again, Corey and the attorneys at Hogan Willig, they have done so much of this um, as philanthropists. Uh, he has donated his time in so many of these cases, but we do need resources to, to take this case to the next le level. We've already filed a notice of claim. We haven't filed the lawsuit yet. Um, that's going to come down the road, Daniel. But I'm really, really excited for your audience to meet Corey and to hear about what he's done uh, as a freedom fighter 
in New York state, in New York state courts to win because he has done uh, since day one, since March of 2020, he's been fighting these battles for people. And so I want to get support for him. So I will shut up. I, I want most of this to be with Corey. That, that's where I want to take it. You go to shannonjoy.com. The shannonjoy.com. You could contribute to the SJ Legal Fund. So obviously this is not about you because I'm getting hundreds of emails. People are desperate. They have terrible cases. You have disability cases, ADA violations, OSHA violations, um, privacy violations, things that we never would have tolerated, whether they're statutory violations, certainly the EUA, um, 14th Amendment, Fifth Amendment, bodily integrity, stuff that in any other context, you would have had lawyers beating down the doors to take these cases. But the problem is there's no money in it. These people are considered almost like the Capitol Hill, you know, January 6th folks, like expendable. They're horrible people. So you could just do whatever you want. Evidentiary standards don't matter. Due process doesn't matter. Legal norms don't matter. Um, Corey, why would you take up that mantle when there's not a lot of upside and you've been practicing law in good standing for 40 years in New York State? Why would you saddle up to this right wing rabble rouser? Uh, you know, of course, yourself, Daniel, that uh, one of the main principles of being a lawyer is that everybody is entitled to one if they find themselves in a situation where they need to get to the courts. The courts, I, I think, uh, as you pointed out, Justice Jackson, they're, they're the last bastion that we have that prevents either the legislature or the executive from infringing upon uh, the rights of supposedly of the citizens of that particular, in this, in this case here, the jurisdiction is the United States of America. When this thing started back in March uh, of the last year of 2020, uh, we were the first law firm in the state to be deemed an essential business because it was my intent to keep our doors open. I was not happy with the idea that people were going to be locked down. I thought there was something wrong with that in terms of just the whole philosophy behind it. Uh, so we filed appropriately. We were the first state, uh, first firm to be designated that in the state of New York. And I thought, okay, we can go ahead and do what we need to do in terms of running our practice on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's about 40 lawyers and another 40 paralegals and legal assistants. Uh, however, shortly after that, uh, the attorney general uh, from the state of New York started contacting me on a regular basis and, and wanted to know the number of attorneys that were coming into the office and what they were doing and why they couldn't do it uh, from their home. It got to a point then where we found people outside hired by the attorney general in uh, unmarked cars taking the license plate numbers of the people that were coming into our office. So I said, you know, this, this is not necessarily like a bad dream, but it's getting there. Um, so we brought an action ourselves. We, uh, the law firm and myself brought an action in federal court here in the Western District of New York, suing uh, Governor Cuomo, the state of New York, the attorney general, and saying that they have no right to be behaving this way, that we have a right to run our law firm. We are complying with whatever rules and regulations existed, and they should leave us alone. Um, after we filed that lawsuit, uh, for whatever reason, and we've tried to negotiate with them for probably, I don't know, maybe three, two or three months in terms of showing them that we were complying with the, the whatever we needed to do in terms of keeping the place clean and all this other kind of thing. Uh, but they still wouldn't let up. And so that's what we did. And, and then that, that for whatever reason, they made a decision to leave us alone. So we, we've been able to keep our doors open every day uh, since then. But as that occurred, um, I guess uh, people saw that uh, and we were contacted by a, by a number of different business groups. Uh, the first group turned out to be some hair salons that were shut down. Uh, the second group turned out to be some restaurants that were not allowed to open. Uh, I guess in Buffalo, they were allowed to, uh, to basically during the wintertime, they could serve food outside, uh, which was effectively shutting down. So we took a look at it and said, is there, is there a basis that we can uh, find here that would allow these facilities to, to be open and, and, and serve the public and only serve those people that are interested in going. If you want to get your hair done, go. If you don't want to get your hair done, if you got a fear of whatever reason, then don't get your hair done at the hair salon. Do it somewhere else. If you don't want to go to a restaurant and eat, you don't have to go in and eat. But the idea was is that people should have a right to make those decisions for themselves. We don't really need uh, a daddy, whether it's a governor or anybody else, telling us how to make those kind of daily life decisions in terms of when we get up in the morning, whether we take a shower, or whether we do go to a job at that particular time. It just seemed way over intrusive to me making those decisions, given 
what I thought was, you know, the, the fact that we were in this pandemic, but there was also an issue of just how serious was it? And if, in fact, this is enough to shut down the Constitution, we've got a problem because things get a lot worse than this. And if they can do what they're doing here, there's no end to the control that the government can have. So, so we brought these actions on behalf of the hair salons. We brought these actions on behalf of the restaurants. And it's not like the judges welcomed us with open arms. <laughs> that did not occur. Now, the, the, these judges at the time probably, you know, they had masks on, uh, they were doing what they thought was appropriate, and they wanted to pay a lot of deference to you know, the state of emergency and, and to what the governor was doing, because everybody was given the story that if you get the COVID-19 virus, you're probably going to die. I mean, that was the message that was being sent. So you had normal, rational human beings afraid to leave their home. And when you talk about the contact tracing, um, uh, this came out and it turned out to be a very important uh, fact in our case. Uh, New York State, I think it was like 60,000 uh, contact tracing points they did during the months of September, October, November of 2020. The governor had a press conference, Governor Cuomo, he had this big chart up. Uh, and so here are, here's the science, here's the facts. And the reality was at the time that the restaurants had no viral transmissions that exceeded 1%. The hair salons were about half a percent. And that 74 to 75% of all viral transmissions were taking place in people's homes. So the reality was is that locking down people, keeping them in their homes, was the primary cause by far of the viral transmission of the COVID-19 virus. So the government was having people do things without hearings, executive fiat, and there was never any real science behind it, shutting people into their homes. It did the opposite thing of what they were trying to accomplish. But once we had that, we were able to show, at least in, with respect to the restaurants, uh, the fact that, the, that the, the, our, the decision that they made to shut them down was what they called arbitrary and capricious. It, the court didn't go to the constitutional piece. It went to what we call a, our Article 78 here in New York and said that there's no justification for what they're doing based upon their own evidence. But since then, the government of New York State continues to contact race, but will not share that information any longer. We have we brought us a lawsuit to try to get that information because they're taking information from the public and they're not sharing it with the public. Which makes no logical sense. Why wouldn't you tell the people who need this information where the viral transmissions are occurring, assuming that it's correct? They don't want that information out. That is ludicrous. So we, we, we continue to go forward. And the same thing with the schools and these poor kids and these masks. We're going to find out at the end of the day that the primary victims of this COVID-19 pandemic are going to be these kids from four years of age up through high school graduation. Because these are the kids that are basically defenseless, that are still required to wear masks uh, as, and when they shut their schools down at the end of June and still in summer school. There's masks are required by the kids in school and homeless shelters and health facilities and not much else. And the justification doesn't exist for requiring these kids to be wearing these masks. And every physician that I've talked to Every speech therapist, every psychologist has indicated that the cost of having these children wear masks far, far, far outweighs any danger to them. And that goes back to the Constitution, where does the government have a right to impose upon our liberties? Well, one of the criteria is, is that what is the harm they're trying to prevent? And once they start breaching these rights, whether it's a First Amendment right or it's a due process right, they better have a good reason. And with the kids, they have none. But nevertheless, they've done it. And the superintendents of the schools, the school boards, everybody's afraid. No one is willing to basically go out there and say, you know what, this is wrong. We've got to do something about it. So we've done our best to take this mantle and go out there and file these actions. So on behalf of the restaurants, we got a judge here, uh, Judge Henry Nowak here in Buffalo, who said, yes, I'm gonna let these restaurants open. They can open. There's no indication that they're doing anything wrong. So they opened. When we got our restaurants here, we had about 100 plaintiffs in that lawsuit. We got those restaurants opened. Then the next day, the uh, county executive, uh, Mark Polenkars, 
and our uh, Steve Governor Andrew Cuomo made a decision that they weren't going to appeal it, uh, which is uh, ever since then they've appealed everything, uh, and they opened all the restaurants in the state of New York because they, did, they didn't want to see what was going on in Buffalo being limited to Buffalo. But they kept coming after us, and they still come after us. I mean, we just got done with a case in a school system where two kids, both asthma sufferers, had reactions on a particular day. It was like 85 degrees. They had no ventilation in the school. The one boy was out there playing football with a, with a mask on, and they both reacted. The boy was taken away in an ambulance to, 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 to Children's Hospital because of the asthma reaction. We tried to get the school to say, let's not, there's only a week left, let's keep the mask off these kids. We know what it does. Let's not do that. You can see the harm. And they insisted upon a mask or a shield. And a face shield doesn't even work. And so, so what's the point? The point is that somehow people have this need to impose their beliefs on others and to jam them down their throat. And that's not what this country was supposed to be about, but that is where it is going. So we're doing our best to try to wake up people. And it's people like yourself that are out there talking is that you're our only hope in my mind. You have to let the public know and understand that this is a very, very slippery slope we're on. And if we don't do something soon, it's going to be over with in terms of you know your ability to make decisions that you think are in your best interest and the loved ones that you have in your family. And that's what happened to Shannon. I mean, Corey, I I, I said to myself, you know, if if a gov, I cannot think about something more draconian, even if it did work. Certainly, now that we have 15 months worth of evidence of zero correlation, much less evidence of causation with cases going down and mask wearing. But even if it did work, um, th- there's no greater science than than obesity. I mean, there's a lot of science behind obesity causing a lot of public health issues with heart and diabetes. And let's say government had a contraption to shut off your mouth after 2000 calories. Well, that would be quote following the science. I mean, that would actually be following the science, but could a government do that to you? And what I always said is you look at NFIB v Sibelius, the central argument with um, you know, coercing someone to engage in commerce or put another way, regulating an inactivity of a human being. Whatever one believes on healthcare policy, but the notion that that government could regulate or criminalize an inactivity. So breathing is the ultimate, you know, what Blackstone called moving in locomotion, the definition of individual liberty, the power of locomotion, of changing a situation, removing one's person whatsoever to a place of his own inclination. If you say you can't go anywhere substantively without covering your breathing orifices, so the likelihood is that the government can never do that. I mean, it was said before in a lot of case law, and this began in 1891 with um, Union Pacific Railway uh, Company v. Botsford, and it, it went on from there. And certainly we had all the um, privacy cases from Eisenstadt to Griswold um, that, look, I mean, there's a right to bodily integrity certainly upheld in a lot of recently case, recent cases, Glucksburg on down. How has that been erased? How is it that there, 15 months later, we, we had a pretty good state ruling in Kentucky and Florida saying, finally, 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 you need strict scrutiny. It's a fundamental right. You got to show your work. You got to show your evidence. You got to weigh the 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 um, cost benefit analysis. How come there hasn't been a federal ruling this far into it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, what they've d- done, you know, someone like religions do with heaven and hell in terms of, you know, if you're good, where you go uh, to heaven, if you're bad, you go to hell. Those are for eternity. Those are pretty powerful incentives. Well, I think what's happened here is that they have people so afraid of dying that, uh, and which has really woken me up when I read this pandemic, is that, that the fear is so pervasive that people are willing to do anything they're told. Uh, and and it's and it's scary to me. I always wondered how could how could that Holocaust occur? How how, how could they put all these Japanese uh, citizens in in, in cages uh, in World War II? I mean, how did this happen? I would never let that happen. Well, after seeing this pandemic, I can see so easily how it can happen uh, because everybody, including the courts, seem to be allowing it to occur based upon the fact that no one wants to catch the virus. And it doesn't even kill that many people. 
The reality of it is, is that at this point in this country, uh, you know, there's there's been about what six hundred thousand deaths or whatever the, the number is. But from a from a, uh, uh, a logistical numbers perspective, there's like nine million people a, a year die of hunger. Half of those are kids, and so they've justified everything that they're doing based upon the fact that this is such a serious disease that we need to prevent it because, as Cuomo said, even one death is too many. That you know, that sounds nice, but what they're not looking at is what is the cost that we're paying to prevent that? And, and is this even preventing it? The, the, the first half is how serious this is. The second half is 15, 16 months later, we now see, I mean, there's been over 50 peer-reviewed studies on um, the stay-at-home orders, that there is zero correlation. Um, it failed to stop. Like, there's one thing, if we we had five, ten thousand 10,000 deaths in the country and it actually worked, it didn't work whatsoever. As you noted, it spread mainly in the House. Um, this didn't work. The masks certainly didn't stop it. And, you know, at some point, you got to show your work. And this is what I wanted to get to some of the legal mechanics, what you're using in Shannon's case of the test and trace and quarantine. So, you know, what they've been throwing in our faces from day one is uh, Jacobson and a couple other cases. Look, there's the state police power to quarantine, state police power to quarantine. But isn't it true that quarantine as as intended by our earlier history, that police power was very limited in time and scope, meaning by definition, it was something like Ebola, where it's very deadly, but very not transmissible, so it's very quarantinable. So by definition, it's a few targeted people who will be affected, and it'll be for a short period of time, and you quarantine it, and then it's over with. And we actually did see that with Ebola. We had six, seven, 12 cases um, last decade, and, and it was over with. But something that by definition spreads like a respiratory flu, that Literally, the best estimate is about 130, 100 to 150 million have gotten it. 30, um, um, 40 to 50 percent of the country has gotten it. So, by definition, you can't quarantine everyone all the time. Is that going to be a foundation of some of your arguments? Well, absolutely. And I mean, there, there is this so called, you know, this great Barrington Declaration that I, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of physicians from around the world came out and said at the very beginning that the best way to deal with this is to protect the vulnerable, but let everybody else go about their business because it's pretty clear who, uh, who the COVID-19 virus is actually gonna impact in terms of death, in terms of your age. It's like you know, 90% of the deaths have been people over the age of 65. Uh, so, so, and then typically I think the average morbidities are like 3.8 morbidities are the people that are dying. So you know who's at risk, and there's a much better way than locking down the entire country, not only the country, the world. Uh, here in Buffalo, we can't go to Canada by car, and they can't come here. Uh, it, it, it's prohibited. You can't get across the border where people have homes and families, get husbands and wives separated. I mean, you know the stories about, I've, I've had clients that have come in, and, and, and they couldn't see their mother or father. They couldn't hold their hand when they were dying in a nursing home. They couldn't go to a hospital room. Uh, when they had a spouse that was dying because of the, this fear of this of this virus, which is not much different than the flu. And and, and people are going along with it. Uh, with, and Jacobson, like you said, I think it was what, 1907 or whatever it was, that had to do with a, a fine of $5. Uh, they were dealing with smallpox at that point. Uh, and they said, yeah, at that point, that particular uh, village or town had a right to um, impose that fine upon that person who didn't do it. But that's not what we're doing here. This, these aren't you know, $5 fines, and this isn't smallpox. And, and also, also, Corey, I would note that was long before Roe v. Wade, where the court said that abortion is, is decision in, in all its aspects is, is inherently and primarily a medical decision. Um, and they made it clear that you have the right to bodily integrity and privacy, all this stuff that didn't exist. then. it's kind of like going to, um, you know, Plessy v. Ferguson, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I so 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 I, I but the issue is going to be, can, can we get to a judge uh, uh, or judges who are willing to actually sit back? And that's when you talked about the passage of time, because I think at some point, a lot of the factual information will come out. I don't think it can be suppressed. And when we get to a judge who's willing to say, you know what, 
maybe there was an overreaction here. We better take a look at what we've done. Let's make sure that we have some rules here uh, before we end up uh, you know, just tossing the Constitution into the fireplace, because that's essentially what has happened since March of last year. There, there is March of 2020. Uh, there, there has been no attention given to the Constitution. People do not want to hear about it. I mean, I talked to people and friends uh, within this firm, everywhere I've gone. People, they just slough it off. It's, it's not that important. We've got to do what we've got to do. We have this COVID-19. It doesn't matter what restrictions the government wants to do, because this is so, so important is to, to, to prevent the passage of this virus from one person to another. And that that's why you're kind of important, because people have to say, you know, is it really that important that you're, that you're willing to basically tell the, let the government run your life? And, and many people are saying yes. And that's that's the discouraging part. Well, one of the beautiful things about this is the friendships that I've made from people really across the spectrum. Um, I've I've been pretty insulated most of my life, only with you know conservatives like Shannon Joy and whatever. Um, but but when it came to this, we've really had a diverse crowd, and we have about a hundred people. I'm working with. We have reams of information on every part of the science and data and everything. What we don't have is legal representation. This has been very very difficult. So my question to you is. You know, what are people supposed to do? The, the, the most common thing I get now is obviously the vaccination stuff, where we, we could talk about the emergency use authorization, statutory conditions that need to be met all we want, but it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, the companies are acquiring it, even government entities and government-funded uh, uh, colleges, they're acquiring it, and they're getting away with it. What could people do about that? The, the the vaccination was was issued on an emergency basis under the so-called Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, uh, and you know, Section 360, and that specifically says if you we're going to authorize the use of this vaccination, each individual has the absolute right not to accept it, not to take it. So I don't understand how even a private employer can impose it upon its employees when the, the, the authorization for it is specifically tied into the fact that each individual can say no. So we are we're going to be bringing a lawsuit uh, uh, on behalf of a lot of parents that have come to us and students. These kids want to go to school in the fall. And these colleges are saying no, uh, unless you come in vaccinated or you walk around the campus Ask on or something else where you were somehow ostracized from everybody, uh, and, and it depends upon you know whether are we going to get a judge who is going to say you know what there is something wrong with this. It would be hard for me to understand how that can be imposed upon somebody when a specific authorization for it for good reason says you cannot mandate it. You have to, that person has a right to say no. Well, you can't change that into, well, yeah, you can say no, but guess what? You can't go to school. You can't go to work. You can't go here. You got to put a big, uh, you know, N on your, on your chest. That doesn't make any sense. That right should be protected because people don't know at this point for good reason, really what the long-term impact is. And people should have the right at this point for sure to say no. Let's assume then it gets full the full appropriate authorization. Then I think the balancing test has got to be, you know, is it the kind of disease that is so important that we are going to force people to take a needle in their arm and take a vaccine that they don't want to? And it doesn't seem to me that this COVID-19 virus is anything close to, to that kind of thing where people are basically saying to the government, you can put a medicine in my arm and I can't stop you. That that is that is a that's going as, as as far as I think you can take the government because now you are allowing the government to have an impact on your ability to function, and 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 that is that is really really needs to be an exceptional circumstance where there's been studies made and, and that the, the the analysis has been done of that particular vaccine in terms of what it's supposed to do and and people have been there's been hearings and that's what the, that's what the whole idea is what here happened in New York. The mass is that the, the day before the, uh, the, the, uh, the emergency authorization was lifted, the Department of Health came in and said under this section uh, of the, what they, we call our Administrative Procedures Act, there's an emergency. 
This is the day before it was removed. And as a result of that emergency, we're not going to use the steps that you normally have to do with legislative hearings and listening to both sides of the argument. We're going to impose this rule upon these kids and no hearing. And that's that's what this is. This, this is these are dictators telling people how to live based upon what they want to do. Yeah. And, and Shannon, Shannon, yes. Yeah, sp- speak to that. The executive power for a minute. Well, yeah, I just wanted to interject very quickly. Even, you know, I've been studying vaccines, uh, vaccine marketing, the laws for many, many years, five, six years. I've been down that rabbit hole. And even with your routine childhood vaccinations, measles, mumps, rubella, DTaP, polio, meningitis, all 50 states, red and blue, all healthcare institutions, college institutions, uh, and elementary, secondary schools had very wide and broad exemptions for individuals who had religious objections to vaccines or medical Um, concerns about certain childhood vaccines. That has been the law of the land for decades. It was only just a year and a half, two years ago in California and New York, where the state governments uh, passed legislation removing religious exemptions and medical exemptions, was, which was absolutely extraordinary. Because up till that time, yes, most individuals, 95% of individuals would be like, yeah, we'll get the routine childhood vaccines. But there were wide exemptions left for people who just really didn't want it. So there really has never been, besides that one case, Jacobson, that you guys mentioned, where the court ruled that you, that you could find him. They didn't even force him to get the vaccine. And, and, and I think Justice Justice Alito was very clear how limited in scope and geography it was. And, yes. and I just want to say, Shannon, that I, I, I I'm looking at this now, the Union Pacific Rail, Railway case, which predated that by about 13 years in 1891, it was very important. And, and Corey, you know this from civil rights litigation. You know, there's there's rational basis, intermediate and strict scrutiny. But then there's a level that's almost impervious. And in that case, they said the right to one's person may be said to be a right of complete immunity to be let alone. It's nearly impossible. And in any other context, we would have applied it that way. Well, absolutely. And, uh, and and that's what is concerning about the public's behavior. And, and, and it's not limited, from what I'm seeing, just to this country. It's the entire world. It's like people have made a decision that they're going to let their governments tell them how to live their lives, and it's okay. So it's, it's, it, and, and that's, that's discouraging. I've got three daughters. Uh, I don't want them to grow up in a country uh, where they can't make their own independent decisions. When you can't decide yes. for yourself what's right or wrong, it, it, it goes to your your essence of your your, uh, your humanity in terms of a, what kind of a person are you. Uh, you, you? You become a robot. And, and this, yes. this thing makes us human beings uh, that, that provides us with uh, you know, this power of creativity, the power to do good, the, the power to help each other, that you lose that. And people don't get it and because and, and, it hasn't been talked about. But it's, it's up to people like yourselves, you and Shannon, to try to at least let people understand in, in, a, in a way that, you know, you have to be careful you know, because you're going to lose who you are as a, your essence as a human being if you allow this to, to occur. I and mean, you have to put an end to it because there's no justification for what you're doing right now. And, and, and even if there is somewhat of a justification, what, what scares me, and, and I want you to talk about what you're feeling in terms of historically being more of a Democrat and what you're seeing politically going on in the country. Um, I know to be cynical, but I think, you know, this is true. And it's certainly true in the day in the era we live in was always true to an extent. We're not a nation ruled by laws. We're a nation ruled by political will. And, and, and so we could talk about statute and the constitution says all he wants, but the bottom line is if this is in vogue, they're going to do it. If not, they won't screw off. And what it is now is shut up COVID, COVID's the cool thing. This is what's in vogue. And what's concerning me is, and I'm wondering if you're seeing this as a traditional Democrat 
watching this on other fronts. What's concerning me is about a two-tier justice system that I'm seeing. I want to, I could talk about a few different things, but talk about January 6th. So look, like everyone else, I'm a, I'm a law and order guy. I, I'm like, you know, lock them up and throw away the key type of guy. Shannon knows that. I do a lot of shows on that. So if we have people on the right that are, you know, start doing violence, I'm like, yeah, throw the book at them. But then when we started looking at this, we're like, okay, well, some people did some things wrong, but you know, I mean, you know the era we live in. You live in New York. I mean, you have people with murder and all sorts of 20 arrests. You have all these cases in New York City beating people. And despite the priors, they're they're released without any bail. Then you have these people that were merely trespassing public property. Maybe they were hit with disorderly conduct. They were held without bail for months. And it's like you could be the biggest liberal in the world and hate these guys or whatever. But at some point, you got to look at this. And recently I talked about this case in Florida where, you know, again, I've been reporting this problem that I think we're too weak on crime for 10 years and the, the the type of people that are released without bail, low bail. And there was this guy that was menacing and he legitimately seemed to be a hateful guy, um, uh, you know, yelling at this black family, kind of intimidating him, chasing them in a car. I think he brandished his gun but didn't point it at them. Certainly crossed the line of protected speech and it definitely was criminal activity. But the guy's being held without bail. And it's like we all know that if the races were reversed, we would have never seen this. Are you concerned that we're being ruled by political will, identity, and not the technical rule of law? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, you know, you, you know, Griswold, the, the Connecticut was written by William Douglas, probably the most liberal judge uh, that ever sat on the Supreme Court. Um, and he talked about that right to privacy. He basically created it. Um, and what, what's disturbed me here is, is how this has become politicized. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, that people like to read the law and feel that uh, it's clear one way or the other what it means. But, but the decisions that are made are, are philosophical decisions being made by these judges. And, uh, and they get to the, the, uh, the justification for it uh, based upon what they really want the result to be. And that's why I'm suggesting that the people like yourself are so important, because it really is uh, the, the, a mindset that, that makes decisions in terms of you know, where this country is going. Uh, the, most statutes, most rules are, are broad enough that you can uh, uh, that you can do whatever you want to do with a particular case and justify it. But what's really important is is that people have a, a basic philosophy in terms of uh, how the country should go and how it should be run. And what we have here, for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but somehow we've got to a point where uh, if you're a Republican, you believe a certain thing uh, with respect to the virus, and if you're a Democrat, you believe something else. I'm not affiliated with any party. I I, 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 I never uh, I, I registered a long time ago as, a, as an independent. I thought that meant I was an independent, but it turned out I was, it was part of the Independence Party. But I removed that. Now I'm not affiliated with anybody just because I, I don't like those labels uh, being classified as one or the other. But that is exactly what's happened here. And I didn't see that coming. I thought, you know, I, I, the ACLU has done nothing. Uh, about you know protecting individual rights. That's what that organization, the American Civil Liberties Union, is supposed to have been doing. They they, they filed nothing of any consequence, and that's that, that's a scary thing to me too, because everybody is, is is cowering and doing what they're told to do because of whatever their belief is at this point that it, it's all the ends justify the means. Yes, and for whatever reason, we feel that we'll give up any right we have so that we don't get uh, the, the, this COVID virus. I mean, the mandates that people are willing to accept, there's that, you know, the, the, the editorial pages are, are you know, chastising people for not getting vaccinated, uh, for, 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 for doing anything that is out of line with the current political will. And that, that means that, for, from my perspective, people have to really sit back and say, you know, what kind of life do I want to live as a human being? Well, what we're trying to do is say, you know what, let's go back and let's remember, you know, what it was like to be able to make decisions for ourselves. Let's be very careful what we give to the government because you can end up in a situation that you're not going to like and it'll be way too late to do something about it. So it's time, to, as you say, you know, stand up and be counted. Let's do something. And that's kind of what the decision is we made here. We're, we're going to go forward and we're going to knock these walls down as well as we can. If we don't, then at least I know we've made an effort. 
But if I don't make an effort and I let this happen, then you know, shame on me for not doing so. That's why you, that's why I went to law school. Uh, you, know, you, you do these things because you don't like bullies telling you how to live your life. Well, that's what the government has become, the, the biggest bully on the block. And everybody's afraid to, 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 to take on that bully. And if you don't take on the bully, the bully will continue to do whatever he wants to do or she wants to do and until it's over with. And that, that is, that, that, that's, that's insanity. And that's what we need. We need more people in the legal profession doing what you're doing. Folks, you could check out, um, you know, Hogan Willig online law firm there. Let me know if you guys feel you need help. Obviously, they have limited staff. There's a limit to what they can do and how much he could offer. But you go to Shannon Joy's website, the SJ Legal Fund. Um, Again, this is not for Shannon alone. This is militating against the premise that you could just mass quarantine without due process. Due process has got to matter. Um, It has not been restored one iota. No governor has restored it for the most part. They just said we no longer need these orders, but they can and will turn that switch on um, at the drop of a hat. So, you know, this is really where the battle lines are. Shannon, any closing words before we uh, wrap this up? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, on on this lawsuit, it's it's so interesting. When I had the interview, when I was able to record my discussion with the senior level contact tracer, you really get a sense of how weak and wobbly the state's cases and the county's cases regarding the ability to force quarantine. When you think about a quarantine, it's it's isolation, it's detention, it's in your home, but it is it is the infliction of a punishment essentially to an individual. And in my discussion with her, it really is almost hilarious to listen to. Well, he said, she said, Susie said, Johnny said, but I can't tell you who Susie was and so and so. Like there's there's no evidence, there's nothing, there's no process whatsoever. It really is when you think about it and you actually cognitively go through the process of how they are forcing people into quarantine. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It falls apart completely. And so I am really committed um, not only in in punching back to the county for harassing myself, member of the press and my family, terrorizing us in our home, but also with Corey really beginning to set up this narrative, exposing how ridiculous this contact tracing and the, the, the basis of quarantine is. Never in our country's history ever have we quarantined healthy people, right? Quarantines are for sick people. You have to establish that. And even sick people, I mean, Shannon, think about what we're doing with the children, especially because the vaccines aren't available for those younger. So we're treating all children as suspect when children, they literally get much less sick than from the flu with flus. I mean, every year my kids classes, sometimes half of their class is out for certain weeks in January. And we lived with it. No one ever criminalized anyone or you have to quarantine. If you're sick, you stay home, obviously. But it was it was what it was. Yeah. And this, you know, we could debate data, but everyone agrees. Kids rarely get significant. You know, often they get three, five, seven days of fever with the flu. It's pretty rare they even get that much less hospitalization with this. And if that is the new pretext, the new baseline, the new threshold to trigger a state power of quarantine, there's quite literally nothing left. Yeah, Daniel, it's coming. Delta, beta, gamma, epsilon, a flu variant. People need to understand this lawsuit is so important because we are laying groundwork before they try to shut us down again in the fall. We're trying to gin up interest and excitement and awareness about this so that they have a problem trying to do this again, which they are going to try to do. So we're going to lay that legal groundwork, the legal basis to push back against any type of quarantine or contact tracing efforts that they're going to put forth in September or October of this year. So we're asking everyone in your audience to support these efforts. I mentioned at the very beginning of the program, Daniel, much of what Corey is doing is pro bono. Uh, He has donated so much of his time. He has donated so much of his energy to helping people in New York State. But at some point, we are going to need support. My case is a very good one. Um, I have media connections. It is compelling for people to hear 
Um, and it is a very good one that I think that we can win, but we are going to need that support from everyone um, on a continual basis because we're going to be, you know, we're going to be rolling out these lawsuits over the next couple of months. So anything, if, if you all in your, the, in your audience feel like this is something you can get behind, we're fighting for every single American. We are telling the American people, any one of you out there who has been quarantined, your civil rights have been violated. They have violated the Constitution on, on due process statutes. And we are going to fight for you so that this can never, ever, ever, ever happen again. Well said, Shannon. And Corey, thanks so much for joining us. I do hope to be in touch with you and share some of the questions, concerns I have from the audience, some legal questions. I thank you for your patriotic service. Um, Believe it or not, there's a lot more people like Shannon and I than there are of you with that legal standing, the legal background. Uh, We're really struggling. So God bless you for your work. Thanks, Daniel. It's an opportunity. I really appreciate it. And good luck out there yourself. And folks, we are way out of time till tomorrow. God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.